Welcome to another episode of Social PR Secrets, the podcast. My name is Lisa Beyer, and I'll be your host. Today's guest is Jess Chan. She is the CEO and founder of Long Play, which is an email marketing company. Jess and I worked together on a few accounts, and we also got to know each other while rooming together on one of our baby bathwater mastermind trips. In today's episode, we take a deep dive into all of the email marketing secrets that Jess has in her mind and some tips on how to weave it into your public relations strategy. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did talking with Jess. Enjoy and namaste. Hey Jess, how are you? Good to have you. I'm doing great. Great to be here. Good. So today we have Jess Chan. She is the CEO and founder of Long Play, which is an email marketing company. And Jess and I met actually through Baby Bathwater. While back now. Yes. Yeah. So Baby Bathwater is a mastermind. I frequently reference them in my interviews, but we also work together on one account, Ohio Energetics, and together on their email marketing, Ohio Genex is a CBD health and wellness company. But Jess, can you give us a little bit of background um, of before you started Long Play and how you got to start your company and what your company is all about? Yeah, for sure. So kind of going way back, um, my background was actually in actuarial science and economics. So just as far away from marketing as, as humanly possible. Um, and I kind of stumbled my way into a marketing, the marketing industry, I guess, as a marketing assistant for Best Self, um, whose founders are also in Baby Bathwater. Um, and I remember being so excited getting that job because I was like, I'm so underqualified. I have no idea what's going on. Didn't know anything about marketing, um, but just kind of had that like early hungry uh, desire to learn. Um, so that was just the perfect company and team and family to, to learn marketing. And because um, it was up and coming, um, hot startup, growing very fast. Um, so was, I was able to kind of get my hands dirty while we still had a small team and also kind of learn management as we grew. Um, that was kind of like my start around e-com marketing, digital marketing. Um, and it was great for me to just get, get a good understanding of how all the pieces fit together before I really dove into a specific niche. So um, I started as a marketing assistant and then eventually um, became their chief marketing officer and ran the marketing there for a little while. Um, and then tell us a little, a little yeah. bit about that self, like just about what that company is all about and um, you know, just the, the concept behind it. For sure. Well, it's just the best company um, overall <laughs> team wise. Uh, I still have just so many great memories um, from, from those days. Um, but they are uh, an e-com company mainly targeting entrepreneurs to start uh, when they first launched the Kickstarter back in, I believe 2014 or 2015. And they were selling a productivity journal, mainly geared towards helping entrepreneurs set their goals, um, achieve them, reflect and really build um, the best life that they possibly could. And now they've done a really fantastic job at targeting more of the mass market. So they've launched new types of journals and planners that are better suited for people who might not necessarily be building a business, but still want to set life goals um, and have some sort of vision for where they want to go. Um, they've been launching these really cool card decks that I absolutely love um, with things like icebreaker questions um, at parties, um, intimacy questions to share with your uh, partner and things like that. Um, and they're just really dedicated to helping people build the best life possible and really become their best self. 
And what was your role as you worked up the ladder from assistant to CMO? And, um, you know, was it, how did you kind of narrow it down to e-com? Um, I mean, I'm sorry, email marketing was like your like niche. For sure. So I think email marketing is actually the first thing I touched as an, as a marketing assistant. Um, I remember they, I think one of the first projects was, Hey, we want to start sending like a weekly newsletter or something. Um, so I was like, okay, cool. So I like Googled like how to e-com weekly newsletter. And I'm like, yeah, we'll, we'll figure this out. And I still remember sending that first email out that I personally wrote. I think it took me like half an hour or 45 minutes or something like that. And then it brought in like $5,000. And you know, back then, as a college student, I was like, this is the most amazing thing in the world. Like I just spent 30 minutes writing this thing and now it's bringing in $5,000, which just seemed like so much money at the time. Um, and that was kind of my start of like, oh, there's a lot of potential here. You can really speak to your customers directly. I love email because one, it's the only per really personal channel that you have to contact your customers directly um, and really be able to share everything going on in the business. And there's no one to really restrict you on who you're targeting and things like that, unlike Facebook and Google. Um, and obviously it's a supplement to social media marketing and all that stuff. It's just, it's just a fantastic like compliment to be able to really round out the ecosystem. Um, personally, I really love the combination of copywriting, creative, um, really like being really strategic around who you're targeting and the, the level of control that you have around strategy. Um, and just all the different options that you have, uh, through email. So the combination of just creative and strategy was, uh, just made a really exciting channel for me. Um, and then from there, just kind of started dipping into like managing uh, our Facebook ads team, um, our content team, creative, social media, and things like that. So really got a good understanding of how all these different channels could fit together to, to grow a business. That's awesome. I mean, coming from the public relations world, it's definitely better than it used to be where um, as far as like measurement and ROI and um, using Google Analytics to show referring traffic um, as a result of, let's just say, articles and things that we would media coverage. But what, what I love about when we started working together that in Google Analytics, it's like super exciting to work with you on these email campaigns and then just see like a direct like result of revenue of sales. For sure. Yeah. yeah. I'm not a very patient person. So I'm like, yes, I want to be able to send something out. I just yeah. know if it's working it's instantly and then we can fix it the next week. It's um, immediate gratification for sure. Yeah, and then totally. to be able to tie in, you know, just, I didn't even really think of the concept of tying in content with an email that's going to actually drive sales. And that's mm -hmm. what happens in, in the campaigns that we work on together. So I just think it's, um, it's an interesting angle to bring into the public relations strategy is, is the email marketing and how the two can work together. A hundred percent. And I love what you're doing on the public relations side because it really gives people a broader understanding of everything going on in the business as well and builds so much authority for us to then use uh, on the email marketing side. And I think PR is a great way of um, just bringing in the masses, getting some of those people who are like just hearing about Ohio or your client for the first time. And then once we can slowly bring them in through PR and then eventually social media and just get them closer and closer to the site and eventually get through email, then email is really where we, we're saying like, hey, we You've done all this work to bring these people in. Let's really maintain that relationship and communicate with, the, with them on a more personal level. Yeah. So it's also a customer retention play as well, not just um, like looking for new, new prospects. For sure. Yeah. So t how did you end up starting Long Play and leaving Best Self? And what did that look like? Yeah, it was a very rollercoastery experience, um, but all good things. Um, the timeline was just so fast. So originally I was thinking, hey, I'll stay uh, with 
uh, with Best Self and also do my business for like two years, just kind of like figure it out. And then all kind of unraveled in two months. And I'm like, I don't think we can handle both of these um, together. But Long Play really started very organically. Um, I was going to conferences and workshops and just meeting like other seven and eight figure entrepreneurs um, and kind of explaining to them my approach to email with Best Self and what we were doing and, you know, how the first few things that I would implement for them or just have them do when they left the conference. Um, and then eventually started getting a few calls after that, kind of asking if, if I could just do it for them. Mm-hmm. So I remember thinking, like, this isn't really a thing. Like, I wasn't really intending to start a business in this industry. Um, but sure, like, let's just say yes. It's a great opportunity. And I'm excited about it. And then we'll kind of figure it out along the way. And then one thing led to another. Um, we've pretty much only grown through word of mouth. And we haven't really done any active marketing or anything like that. So it's been very much an organically grown business. Um, and then from there, it just kind of became a choice of which one I want to invest more of my time in. It was very heartbreaking leaving Best Self because they were my family for so long. Um, but I really was excited about being able to grow my own business, all the things I could learn in that uh, in that space and that experience. So I just kind of transitioned out and then eventually went full-time uh, into long play. Tell us about your first client. What was that like? My first client was the Ohm store with, with my friend Frank um, and Nikki who are brother and sister founders. Um, it, it was a singing bowl or it is a singing bowl company. They're doing fantastic right now. Um, and it's, it's Tibetan singing bowls that, um, basically just help around me. Bowls like, yeah, like bowls, like like with a sound. Yeah. 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 So it's beautiful. They're, they're just like the most kind people I've ever met. Um, just amazing people to work with. So it was fantastic being able to, sign on with a client that I still considered a friend um, and someone who was very open to like, Hey, I like, let's just be transparent that I'm doing this for the first time. This is not like a full fledged business. So let's just figure it out together and having people who are very willing to be your hamster guinea pigs and like testing things along the way and realizing that you're still figuring it out. And we're so lucky now that even the clients that we have this deep into the business, they, they, they still understand that we're growing. And that sometimes we're just beta testing things and like, we're still figuring it out along the way too. But it was a great experience. And the first, the first client I had, I was doing all the copywriting. I was doing all the design implementation um, and everything was from scratch. Um, and then eventually hired a VA to kind of help things out. And, and now we're a team of 18, which just craziness. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. And your team is remote? Fully remote. Yeah. Yeah. And tell us about the break breakdown of your team. What, what's yeah. Yeah, so we we kind of split our team into, I guess, operations and creative. Um, so operations is kind of like our implementation team. Um, they understand Clavio very well. And they do all of our reporting, basically set up all the emails. And then the other half is a creative team. So we have our creative director, um, and then we have our designers and our copywriters as well. Um, so it's pretty much an, that kind of breakdown. And then we also have our strategists on one side. And can you tell us what is different about long play? Like you guys really just focus on e-com, right? Yeah. So we just focus on e-com. Um, we basically just work on Clavio. Um, and I think what makes us different is one that we're really focused on being full service. Um, so I kind of built the agency that I wish I got the chance to work with as a CMO and being able to bring my experience of knowing all the things that a CMO is dealing with, the fact that email is just one of like 50 different channels that they're trying to manage and there's fires all over the place and everything is changing all the time. Um, So really giving, 
I guess at the end of the day, we see our job as really giving them peace of mind. And then we're doing email and we're doing all the work behind it. But really it's like, hey, how do we make their lives easier by taking full ownership of this channel, uh, making them feel like we're managing them in terms of like, hey, we need approvals. Hey, we need this thing checked on versus like them feeling to the need to manage us and ask like how things are going and, you know, we want to do this thing. Um, so I think what we do really differently is we're really taking full uh, full ownership of the channel, really full service to everything from strategy, copywriting, design, implementation, um, and just really focusing on like how do we make our clients' lives easier. And our internal principle is like say yes to as many client requests as possible without burning us out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to come back to tools and platforms, but I just I also mm-hmm. want to um, focus on. So, what are some what are like the three most important things that a brand needs to know when it comes to email marketing? Um, in your space, in the e-com space? For sure. So one would be get as much customer data as possible because that's the only way that you can do email marketing efficiently and effectively. Um, So moving to a platform such as Klaviyo, it's going to help a ton with that. Um, Just so you can get your purchase behavior, you know what kind of um, things your customer has bought before, you know what they've viewed, um, you know um, how they're interacting with your emails and all of that is what uh, really builds a great strategy. That's kind of the first thing. Um, Second piece is really thinking about how you want to build relationships at scale with your customers. So I always say, you know, we happen to work on email as the channel that we've chosen, but all of our principles apply just broadly across all marketing. And we're focused on how do we help you build relationships at scale with your customers? So it's thinking about what's the ideal customer journey? What are some of those pain points that you're trying to address? Um, How do you want to speak to them at each stage of the customer journey and each stage of their mindset um, and their relationship with your brand? And then just think about it one-on-one. And then once you've thought about it one-on-one, then you can, you know, build the emails and everything like that to build a system around it. Um, But it's really just making it as personal as possible. Um, and the third place is just to kind of like continue testing, realizing that there is no right answer. You know, we have our frameworks and we have our approach, but at the end of the day, I'm always the first one to say like, I have no idea because we, we can have the data, but each brand is slightly different. So just test, don't assume you know anything, um, but also move fast and just start, start with something, get it launched. And then you can always go back and, and test out new ideas. What about frequency? How do you decide on frequency? Because there's some e-com brands where I get sometimes two emails a day. I mean, for sure, every day I get emails from some brands and some of them I don't mind because I, I just really like what I'm getting, but then some of them I'm just like, okay, enough. Like I, I need to turn you off. So how, how do you balance that? For sure. So with frequency, um, we generally like to start off with like one to two emails a week first and then slowly ramp up. Um, we're always kind of deciding between like two or three different variables when with, around frequency. So one is how much do we think customers really want to receive um, and how many do you think we can like kind of get away with in, like production? Um, the other one is what's the impact of revenue for that extra email? So obviously it's kind of like a decreasing ROI on each one. Um, and at some point you're going to notice, Hey, when we send six emails and seven emails, yes, each email is generating extra revenue, but you know, we're pretty much making the same amount from six or seven. We're just redistributing it across more emails. Um, so it's like, what's the highest amount of revenue we can generate with the lowest amount of work? Um, and the third piece is really like taking into account like what your customers are feeling. Um, we, it's, it's like, hey, we want to ramp it up as much as possible. But if you're really starting to see a surge in like customer complaints and things like that, then how do we shift targeting? How do we add in preference pages and things like that? 
Um, that being said, I always say like, you're always going to get complaints about people receiving too many emails. So always be that one-off person. So just kind of keep percentages into, uh, in mind as well. Awesome. And so, um, give us some, some tips on how to integrate public relations and media coverage into email marketing. For sure. Um, I love using authority emails as just a nice little boost, especially towards people who haven't purchased from you before and trying to understand like that might be some of their objections. So if you're getting great press, um, really using those testimonials um, and just article features or logos from different publications into your email marketing and just sharing what's working with your brand um, and see, and just allowing customers to see that they're, that your brand is making a splash um, in this bigger world and it builds a lot more trust. Because I think especially now when it's so easy to launch an e-com store these days, customers are a little bit more wary and they're just, they're just significantly smarter now realizing that there's things like drop shipping and like they might order from this brand that's very shiny um, and has a lot of Instagram followers, but it might just be a drop shipping store and they're going to get their product and it's kind of not great and there's not much customer service and things like that. Um, so things like press just really start building authority that you really are a leg legitimate company. Um, you're getting recognized by these big publications um, and also that you have a whole team. Like you're just really a legitimate company, not kind of a guy in his bedroom drop shipping things from China. <laughs> <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that. Not that there's anything wrong it. with that, but <laughs> if you have that edge to differentiate yourself, yeah, um, then yeah. that's your edge. So yeah. you should leverage that yeah. as much as possible. Yeah. If, yeah, you should have that be like your Instagram feed post if that's really who you are. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but speaking of just like starting up on an e-com, like an e-com startup, and if you have no list, what, how do you, like, would you take on a client that is just a startup and they don't have a list and how do you build a list? Yeah. Great question. So we wouldn't personally, um, mainly cause I always say any money that you pay us at that point is better spent putting it into Facebook ads or like acquisition techniques. Um, and we can always work with you in the future. In terms of list building, I always say that build your list the way you want to build your customer base. Um, Cause we don't want a list. We want a list of potential customers um, and an email list, just because you have a list of emails is not valuable in itself. So I'm not a big fan of things like um, constant giveaways to run, um, to build email lists, nothing wrong with giveaways and they're great every once in a while, but if that's your only list growth strategy, that's not great. Um, don't definitely don't do list buying or any of those like hacky list growth tactics. Um, cause you can grow lists very quickly, but you're not gonna be able to, it's good. You're going to run into challenges monetizing it. And then you have to take a step back. So honestly, most of our clients grow their list just by having a pop-up on their site for email capture and then running traffic to the site. Um, and, those are people who are genuinely interested in buying your product. And then with the pop-up, just having something simple like 10% off or a free gift or, or something like that, just to incentivize them. Um, that's honestly the most simple, straightforward method for effective list growth. Plus you're getting customers in the meantime as well, because obviously people will convert on your site. Um, other things that could be potentially used for are things like lead magnets. So if you have, for example, like a free PDF of information around your product or like something that would be relevant to your customers, um, things like that are very effective at um, at least building that email list to start. Yeah, those are great tips. So talk to us about platforms. So um, some of the platforms that you're using, I had never heard of, but I'm sure in your world, they're very common. So what are some of the platforms that you use um, for each step of the email marketing process? For sure. So we mainly work with clients who are on Shopify, which is an e-commerce platform. Um, 
and or WooCommerce. I am a huge fan of Shopify, especially if you're getting started, just because it makes things 10 times easier. You don't need a developer and you can really just kind of like cobble together your store um, and get it live. Uh, we use Klaviyo for all of our clients for email marketing. Um, I think it just integrates, integrates well with Shopify, gets you all the customer data and lets you like really build the strategy the way you envision it. Um, if you're just getting started and you kind of can't afford uh, Klaviyo yet, um, or it's just a jump, um, MailChimp and things like that also work well just to kind of get things going. I would get off it as quickly as possible, but just to get some emails out, um, it, it still works well. Um, and then that's kind of all the main platforms. The other ones are probably more Shopify apps around like website pop-ups. So Privy is one of my favorite ones or Sumo uh, as well. But those are kind of like the big two. And then you use Envision for the proofing process? Yeah. So um, yeah, we can definitely talk through kind of the tools for our internal use. Um, yeah. But yeah, so in terms of organization, we use Asana for all of our project management. Um, and then Google Docs and things like that, which is pretty straightforward. Um, we're using Envision right now for any design proofs. So things like sending an email to get comments on and things like that. Um, it works very well. And I'm always a fan of just, hey, let's have as few tech tools as possible to stick to simple pieces. Um, Cause I think people overcomplicate um, finding like the perfect app or the perfect tool to suddenly make their lives easier. And I'm like, if you can't get it done with a terrible tool, the, the nice tool isn't gonna help either. So we just stick to like Google Docs, Asana, Zoom and Slack. Um, and then we also use an app called Tetra, which I've, I've been loving so far, which we use for all of our internal documentation. Oh, cool. So I just have to go back to Asana because we're on, we've been using Asana probably maybe 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we don't really still have it mastered. And I'm always like trying to figure out like, what are we doing that we could be doing better? Um, I mean, I could have like a whole episode. Yeah, I could nerd out over operations. That, that's, yeah, really, that's really but, the job. It's funny because as we're running this agents for a little bit longer, it's kind of that classic... Um, analogy of like McDonald's isn't in the fast food business or in the uh, real estate business. Um, and for me now, I feel like we're not in the email marketing business. We're in the operations business. We're printing out so many emails each week that it's really around how do we dial in our operations? Yeah. Yeah. So always trying to, to tweak Asana. I don't know. I thought I saw, um, maybe it was like in the baby bathwater group that you were thinking of switching to Monday. Was that? I was so close. We did not really? pull the trigger. I'm really, really glad. I'm really glad because it would have been an absolute nightmare trying to switch platforms. And my team made it work with Asana. We figured it all out. So I'm, I'm very glad that we're okay. still on there. Maybe we can have like a sidebar in Asana. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. Um, so just... Uh, you were kind of part of uh, one of the webinars that we did on baby bathwater and email marketing. I thought it was like really funny, like you and David Sinek kind of like had these uh, differentiating um, point of views, which, you know, both of them work. So just your opinion on um, the whole debate of graphics versus no graphics and how people send out those emails, the brands that are, it's like a really skinny column of like no graphics and it looks mm -hmm. like it's very personalized. What do you have? What's your take on that? Yeah, so one of the biggest lessons I've learned in the last, like, I think, two and a half years is the difference between the direct response space and the e-commerce space. And it was one of those, like, early things where I was like, marketing is marketing. They're all, they're still kind of selling the same kind of products, but you realize they're totally different industries. So, for example, um, Dave Sinek, who you referred to, he's running, running kind of like a free plus shipping 
model and it's very direct response um and for us i always say like the brands we work with are like the instagrammy brands like the mm-hmm. ones with great beautiful instagram profiles beautiful like designed sites um it's just a totally it's just totally different industries um so if i was working in his space obviously he is amazing at what he does and he's yeah. crushing on email marketing so really they're just two different types of businesses and really knowing which one you fall into um he works very much off of direct response funnels and sales funnels and everyone is going through like landing pages and sales pages for us we're really directing people to like blog content and product pages and they're just the general website you know there's no sales funnel um so the key really here is understanding are you in the direct response business or are you in the kind of e-commerce business and then if you're in the e-com business then definitely i would recommend just more graphic heavy emails not because graphics are fundamentally better than text, but just really thinking about your customer experience. And if your customers are seeing this beautiful Instagram profile, they're seeing these beautiful ads and then they get an email and it's like this ugly (laughs) plain text thing that looks a little bit spammy. It's just not an integrated customer experience. And it almost feels like, did I land on the right site? Like I'm really confused. So it's kind of thinking like, Hey, you wouldn't imagine Apple to be sending out this weird plain text email just because it might perform better on these conversion metrics because that's not aligned with their brand in the long term. Um, so there is a lot to be said about analyze the data, but there's also things to be said around, hey, the data might say one thing in the short term, but even if that single email performs better, how is that going to impact your business uh, in the long run? Yeah, totally. And then there's the whole um, subject line. So we see the subject lines that are all lowercase and then subject lines with all lowercase and lots of emojis and mm-hmm. preview text, um, you know, kind of the same type of concept. Do you have, what direction do you give when it comes to subject lines and the creativity in a subject line? Yeah. So those are kind of like some of those key variations. It's like, Hey, do we do emojis or not emojis, uh, direct response kind of style subject lines where it's all lowercase or just like branded stuff. Um, we're always balancing, Hey, what do we think will convert better and what's the brand and also what does the client want? Um, so for some brands we do kind of do like the lowercase direct response style, like sale for $15, super straightforward um, mm-hmm. because it still works with their style of brand, even though they're e-commerce. Um, Cause they're kind of like, rugged, funny, humorous, uh, low key. Um, but the, for some of them, that just, that just wouldn't fit at all. So it's all around, Hey, let's find the constraints of the brand. And then this kind of leaves us with like this bucket of subject lines that we can test. And then from there we'll test those subject lines, but we do generally approach it from a, what restrictions do we have from the brand standpoint first, before we even figure out what to test and what data to use, because you know, there's so many things we can test and I understand the data will say, say one thing, but eventually if we kind of keep going down that road, that's going to become this giant gulf uh, in terms of how it fits in with where they want to go as a business. Yeah. And that comes down to, you know, I love, you have a great onboarding system and, you know, making sure that you have all the brand assets and the brand messaging and kind of the brand my, mindset, because one brand might be great for emojis and the other brand, you know, might not yeah. fit with the audience. And it's just funny how the, all these reports and studies on just for emojis, for example, like, you know, using emojis, you know, you get a, you know, X amount better open rate if you have an emoji in the subject line, but that isn't all brand fits all, right? Yeah. And I always want to differentiate between the conversation around tactics and strategy and every strategy has like a bucket of tactics that go with it. But if you start with tactics, then you end up with either no strategy or like some strategy going completely in the wrong direction. So it's like, Hey, let's set your strategy based on your brand first. 
and then based on that strategy, so see what available tactics there are for us to use. And then obviously we'll use as many as we can. Yeah. And working with you on Ojai Energetics, I've learned a lot because being in the PR world, it's kind of like the journalism world where everything a lot is real time. A lot is we have a strategy, we have a plan. We don't go more than three months out because like what's happened in the past week uh, has, you know, completely shifted what some of our messaging may or may not be. We pause things. So um, I really admire how you work in advance and very strategic. Um, Do you, what are some tips you can give when it comes to preparing clients to have a mindset that they might not be that, you know, it's, it just seems like compared to even five years ago, every type of marketing is more kind of, I don't want to say real time, but it's hard to plan too far in advance because things change so quickly. You have to just leave that room for change. So what, what advice do you give for that? Yeah, for sure. So my approach to this is kind of, I guess I see it as like multiple path, like contingency plans and which one is more likely to happen. So we're never saying like, Hey, let's plan, let's plan it and like lock it in. And like, no matter what happens, we're going to follow this plan just blindly. But it's like, Hey, there's probably an 80% chance that this, this general plan should, should be fine. And if not, then there's like five other scenarios that could happen. Obviously with the last few months, there's been to- a lot more last minute changes just because we're feeling things out um, day by day. But for me, it's like, Hey, let's plan out the next at least three months. Um, if not six months of, Hey, these are types of offers that we want to do. Um, things like that. Um, honestly, three months is usually fine. The big thing is like, hey, you just don't want to be responding to things on an hour to hour basis or day by day basis. So at least be working like a week or two ahead. Um, so we'll kind of have like the groundwork um, and start working on all of that. And then eventually we might notice, for example, that, hey, what this particular client, there's always last minute changes with like supply chain issues, for example. Um, and then we keep needing to create a lot of emails from scratch. So how about we just create a second plan of a pipeline of backup emails that we can still create in advance, but now it gives us a lot of flexibility to swap in different types of products in case things are out of stock. And it allows us to re- react in real time while also working ahead and planning ahead. So we're not ever actually creating anything last minute. Um, so th- strategies like that really help with um, still being able to plan ahead and, and reduce the number of fires that you need to deal with on a week to week basis. But uh, also allow you to still be nimble and agile and react as quickly as possible. So I like the couple like tactics I have in my back pocket are like, Hey, let's create a backup of pipeline emails. Um, and then we can swap those in at any time. Um, I like creating templates for things that, uh, you know, will change a lot. So for example, we have a client that has a clearance emails, but they don't know what is going to be on clearance until the day before. And there's no way we can turn around emails in in 24 hours so we create templates for those emails and then we can swap in those products the day before um, because then it becomes we're reducing a 20 task project into a one task project um, so, so tactics like that really help with planning ahead and staying agile along the way as well yeah that's great and then um what is you do you have a strategy for tragedy so you know we just went through the pandemic um now we're in this um era of you know the the protesting and black lives matter and um it's it's a you know it's a very unprecedented time so do you have kind of a you know pause on email type of um do you have anything like that that you give advice to clients on for sure um we our response is generally like, hey, let's stay 
in close communication with them, but we don't try to direct their strategy on the email side, mainly because I feel like this is more of a direction on brand strategy. So it's where does your brand stand with the Black Lives Matter movement and how do you want to react to that? Same thing with the, the COVID situation. What's your stance on this? And those are relatively, I guess, political or like social justice stances. And that's not, I don't feel like that's for us to determine as an agency partner, it's for you to determine. And then once you've decided what you want to do, then we can put a game plan into action. So we've had clients where it's like, hey, we just need to black out all emails for the rest of the week. We don't want to send anything out. Okay, cool. Let us know. And then we will do everything on our end to, to rearrange things and, and figure out the game plan. Um, but we don't try to direct email, uh, we don't try to direct clients on like the protocol to handle these types of situations. Yeah. And have you had clients pause in, in the past? Yeah. yeah. Probably about like 70% of clients pause. And we had a few that just kind of kept things going. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So I follow you on Facebook and, um, I see your stories all the time. You're always doing these like cool workouts and mix you're like taking a mixology class or something and cooking. So what are some of the things that you do to kind of stay healthy, your health and wellness routine and tips that you can give us? Yeah. I mean, definitely have been thrown for a loop a little bit with the quarantine. Um, but long walks help me a ton. So I go on like two, three hour long walks just to flesh out ideas, just kind of like to center myself again, especially with you know, the world that we work in, it feels like you're constantly being bombarded by a million different things. Um, so being able to take these long walks and just really take a step back and see the bigger picture. Um, and that helps me a ton. Um, lately, I've been just playing volleyball, playing basketball, getting outside, trying to find kind of the physical activities that are a little bit more mindless to get myself out of my own head. Because um, I think even when you're relaxing on the weekend, even if you're sitting on a couch or like reading a book, it's still very like, head driven um and sometimes you just need to like take a step back and then go back into the work day um so things like that have helped and then obviously overall just kind of like trying to maintain um, a healthy diet as much as possible um i don't go too strict on anything or follow any particular um diet plan but just kind of trying to avoid like sugars and carbs and things like that as much as possible and that helps a lot with energy maintenance awesome so any um favorite netflix binge watching shows Ooh. that you can give us some tips on that you love <laughs> So I'm a really weird Netflix watcher um, and I constantly get shamed for like not knowing what's going on culturally. But every time I start a new show, I binge it and it destroys my life for like three days. So the last (laughs) time, the last one I think I started was like New Girl back like two years ago and I watched 18 hours in two days. So I don't start new shows anymore because it's going to destroy my life. So I've been watching the same like two or three very, very old shows on repeat for like six years. And I'm just going to stay with that. Um, But casually, I watch like Black Mirror, um, Sherlock, things like that, which I, which is fantastic. Any books you can recommend sources for whether it's entrepreneurship or email marketing that are just your like standout favorites? For sure. Not too many books on email marketing, but entrepreneurship. um, The hard thing, the hard thing about hard things is still one of my favorites especially when I was reading it um just during a tough business down period and it really sometimes you just you don't want the motivational stuff around hey it's all gonna get better you want someone who's just like yeah it's just kind of shitty right now and we will get through it um so I think that's Mm -hmm. a fantastic book just really around like shining the light around how hard it is to build your own business and all the emotion the energy that you really need to put into it and how draining it is and it really encapsulates that struggle um, besides that, I really like all the Ryan Holiday books, The Ego is the Enemy, Obstacles Away. 
as well. And then one book that I've been rereading for a couple of years is uh, Team of Rivals, which is around Lincoln's rise to power and kind of how he handled the Civil War. Um, and it's a fantastic book, especially as you're stepping into a leadership position and trying to lead a team to really understand how to bridge relationships and grow by having people who challenge you and having differing opinions versus I think a lot of entrepreneurs as you're getting, as you're building a bigger team can fall into the trap of just finding people who agree with you and think the same way. And then it really becomes kind of an echo chamber. Oh, I'm going to have to definitely check those books out. That one's fantastic. Yeah. 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 So before we wrap up, um, where can, um, if somebody wants to get in touch with Longplay, what's the best place to check you out and see if it's a good fit and any other yeah. social channels? Yeah. Um, so our website is longplaybrands.com and social channels. Um, for me, it's just Instagram or Facebook um, under Just Chan. And that's where I do all my personal posting. I love the name long play because that's like my favorite um, phrase when talking to people about public relations and whether or not it's a good fit. And they, mm -hmm. they're like, oh, you know, what if we just try it for two months or we're going to test it out for three months. And I'm just like, you know, public relations is a long play. If you're not yeah. in it forever, don't get in it. For it's sure. not a test. It's just, it's going to be like a way of life of your business life. So oh, totally. like, every time it's a long play, I'm like, that's the best name ever. I love <laughs> it. Same with email marketing. Well, the irony is like, because it's our name now, now I feel like we're just like being too punny if I use it in a sentence. So now we've actually stopped using it. Because oh. <laughs> it's the name. That's the irony. But um, yeah, no, I... Yeah, of all the things I've done right, I'm like, I really like this business name. It gets me excited. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, Jess. Well, thank you so much for joining us and sharing all your social PR secrets when it comes to email marketing and entrepreneurship and, and everything that you shared. I really appreciate it. And I know that our audience does too. Well, thanks for having me. It was great. Thank you for listening to this episode of Social PR Secrets. If you like what you heard, check out the book on Amazon or follow our blog at socialprsecrets.com. This episode was sponsored by The Buyer Group, a social PR agency striving to keep our balance in the digital world, practicing public relations, social media, and search marketing, while occasionally drinking a glass of wine or two for the best creativity and results. Thank you all for tuning in. If you would like to get a free chapter of Social PR Secrets, go to socialprsecrets.com slash free.